Thank you for listening to the Firelife Church Podcast. For more information on Firelife Church in Irving, Texas, please visit wearefirelife.org. We pray the Lord blesses you greatly through this message. Quick word. Oh, y'all, that's it. Y'all missed your chance. Yep, you missed it. If y'all were more enthusiastic, I may oh, too bad, too late now. <laughs> I do want to say um, welcome to, to guests that are here, those that have come back to worship. We pray that God do something special for you. Um, we always are honest. I'm just, I'll just be, I'm probably overly honest sometimes maybe, but I'm always amazed when guests find this little place. And I'm always like thankful, like and and uh, humbled to the Lord that He that that people come here that we don't know, and so um, I'm glad you're here, and I hope that the Lord touches you. Like you're in our house, you're in the Father's house, and He's a Father of hospitality, and He has something special for you if you haven't already received it. He's got something more for you, and miracles can happen right now. Like when He speaks, things happen always. It's impossible for his word to go forth and not do something. It cannot return void. How many believe that? Like Isaiah says that, that his word is like the rain that comes down from the heavens and it cannot return back to the heavens until it fulfills the purpose it was sent to, to, to fulfill. And he says, that's how God's word is. It cannot return to him void. So if the Lord's spoken promises over your life, I know Hank and Ashley felt that we're gonna, the, the promises of God, they wanted to highlight it today and to ask for miracles. Like the things the Lord has promised you and said over your life, it cannot return void to him. It must, it must happen. Yes. Amen? Yes. Especially when you think of it from this perspective. God works the end from the beginning. So when he declares something, he's not creating something that, that this is a really weird, I know this can get really weird theologically. He's, he's speaking something into existence that he has already seen in reality. Like he's already, he's already been there and he's declaring it to us so that we can come into agreement with it so that it can manifest into our lives. Like he knows what he's talking about and when he speaks, it has to happen. And so we, I, I just wanna pray over that. Um, would you just put your hand over your heart? And we're just gonna say that our heart represents the promises God's made to us that have been hidden there, all right? So we're putting our hand on our heart because God has made promises and we've hidden them in our heart. So Father, today I ask that you would cover the promises you've made to us. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and sit on those promises and brood over them the way you sat on the, on the unfinished earth and waited for the Lord's word to be spoken and then you created reality. Holy Spirit, do that on our promises. Sit on our promises. Rest on them until they, until they hatch, until they come into being, until they are birthed, God. No weapon form will prosper. We declare that over our promises over your purposes for our life. No weapon form will prosper. Amen. Amen.
I want to say thanks to all the ladies for helping decorate the floor. I, I, I love Christmas. I love the Christmas decorations. It looks wonderful. So thank you for all of that. The bells were a kind of a prophetic thing. We took, took a There's just something on, on Christmas bells, the sound. There's going to be a sound released for our church, like specifically. And uh, I was hoping, you know, when you, when you try to buy, I wanted to buy big, huge bells and have them hanging all through the building. And we're like, yeah, you start looking at those Christmas decorator places and you're like, how can anyone afford this stuff? Like, you, like, just because you put warehouse on it, you think it's cheaper, but no, it's like more expensive. There's one in Arlington, not far from our house, that's like one of the most famous ones around and it's always crazy busy. And you'd think, oh, if I go in there, it's gonna be like Hobby Lobby. And no, it's not like Hobby Lobby, it's expensive. So, um, because I wanted us to, to think about the, the ringing, the sound, the bells, there's gonna be something prophetic released in the air. And so, um, yeah, we just... We just say yes to that. Father, we ask that you anoint this time. Say what needs to be said to our hearts. In Jesus' name. Last week, we, we began just refocusing and putting the, 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 the center thing, the central thing, back where it belongs, and that's the presence of God. Um, it's just so easy for us to drift away from the things that matter. I mean, all of us, right? It's easy to just drift But we're going to put the, the main thing at the center, and that's the, the presence of Jesus, the presence of God at the center of everything we do. And if we can do that, then it will affect every area of our lives. And so last week we read from Exodus 33. I'm not going to read all that again, but Moses is saying, Lord, you said you're going to send us to a promised land. You're going to send us to a place that's ours, that we actually get to, we get to put down roots, and we get to call a place our home and, and you're telling us that we're going to go there, but you haven't told me who's going to go with me. And Moses is, I, I look at the example through the eyes of someone with the responsibility gift, right? He's thinking, how am I going to feed all these people? How am I going to have water for all of them? How am I going to protect them from the lions in the desert and the, and the animals that would come to steal uh, their, their children or their baby goats and animals? Like, and he's thinking logistically, like, I can't do all of this. This is too much for me, God. Who's going with me to help me? How many of you have ever felt that before? Who's with me to help me? And the Lord says, I will go with you. My presence will go with you. And Moses grabbed a hold of that. And he goes, okay, Lord, well, if you don't go with me, then I'm not going. And that's, that's what it means to put the presence of God at the center of our life. Lord, I know you sent me in this direction. I know you sent me in this specific direction direction, this purpose, this call. You've called me out of my father's land, kind of like Abram before he became Abraham. Hank mentioned that. He left the land of his father to a place he didn't know. And God is saying, if you'll do that, I will go with you. My presence will be with you. But we got to put him at the center. We have to make him the central, um, the thing that everything in our life revolves around has to be his presence and his purpose for our lives. And this is what, what uh, Moses is finding here. This is the most important thing. And then this image that you see on the screen is just a picture of what the tent of meeting, the tabernacle of meeting looked like in the wilderness when God's presence would show up. And all the people could see that God's presence was there and it was a sign to them, amen? So just kind of catching up from last week. And I, I just wanna, I want you to, Okay, can we stop doing this thing that we think of the church as a building or an organization or a, a nonprofit place? Like the church is not a, a, a physical location. We gather because we are the house of God. Would you say that? I am the house of God. So like I am the church because the church is where the presence of God dwells. 
And if he dwells in us, then we are the temple. We are the place where God dwells. It is not just a physical location. I love the idea and the thought of us, of us gathering together in a room or in, in like people in stadiums and the Lord's presence shows up. I love that he does that, but he only does that because he's dwelling in somebody the rest of the time. I also want to break the mindset that says we need lots of people to come into agreement with heaven for heaven to show up. Amen. We've been having some great discussions about prayer and building a house of prayer. And I was raised where if I had a prayer need, I thought, because I'm democratic in my thinking because we're Westerners, if I get the majority or more people to pray the thing I'm praying, I'll get what I ask for. Anyone ever felt that would admit to feeling like that? Like, okay, well, this is just a headache. I don't really need to ask a lot of people, but man, if it's cancer, I gotta ask tons of people. And the more people I ask, have praying, the more opportunity there is for this thing to be answered. And that is not biblical. The goal is for at least one person to pray what God wants to have happen. One person. The goal is for me to figure out, Lord, what is your will? I want that. That's called agreement. And when if I come into agreement with heaven, I get what heaven has for me. Now, it would be much better if we could get lots of people coming to a agreement, into agreement with heaven, and then all of us come together and we're all plugged in in agreement to heaven. Can you imagine what would happen in that atmosphere? But it doesn't require lots of people to shift things. It requires one person to connect with the presence of God. Y'all okay? We're just gonna walk through a thing here. See, we're a kingdom of kings and priests. How I many you know that? That's the, the Bible tells us that in, in the new covenant, we are now all in the priesthood. Every one of us. We are now ministers unto God. And if I learn to minister unto God... I can also learn to minister to myself. And if I can do those things, I can minister to others. But our first ministry is to whom? It's to God. Did you know that our worship and our devotion to him is ministry unto him? The word ministry can be uh, translated or we can, we can substitute the word ministry for service. I am in the service of God. You and I are in the priesthood where we are here to attend to or to serve God. And by me attending to and serving God, he shows up, amen? And the Bible tells us that as kings and priests, that we get to minister unto God, that the veil that was in the temple before that separated everyone that was not in the priesthood from the holy place, and then not even all those in the priesthood got to go into the holy place. It was an elite group of people, very few people ever in history before Jesus came and died on the cross were allowed to walk into the direct presence of God because they knew that if they did, they would die because the holiness of God requires death. Are y'all okay? The holiness of God required death. So guess what God did? He sent Jesus to die so that the veil in the temple, that the requirement of death could be removed from all of us because Jesus, as the, the, the second Adam, come on, 
broke through and paid all of those legalistic laws, all the rules that God had made, Jesus fulfilled them in offering himself in obedience to God. And the veil in the temple was ripped from top to bottom. And now every single person on the planet was given direct access to the heart of God without fear, without stipulation. Hey, you have one rule. Do you believe me? Okay, you're now in the presence of the almighty God something that was not legal for thousands of years in one instant when Jesus said, it is finished. The literal veil, and this literally happened. The veil was literally torn from top to bottom. It was an imagery of saying, God saying, I no longer want anything to divide me from every person on this planet that I love to have this intimate connection with me. You are now all priests. Amen? And as priests, their requirement was to keep fire on the altar. Did you know that? So like, when, if you were in the priesthood, you lived at the temple or the tabernacle or the, as, they, as they began to build literal buildings, they lived there and they had jobs to do. They had to take care of the temple. They had to watch over. And one of the things that they were required to do was to keep the fire on the altar. To keep it burning, Right? And it was not the priest's job to create the fire. Hello, I'm just going to walk through this. Like the priest didn't like come up with some Bear grills trick and, and rub some sticks together and create fire. They had to bring a sacrifice to God. Listen to me. They couldn't bring fire. It wasn't their responsibility to bring the fire. It was only their responsibility to bring a sacrifice that was pleasing to God. And if the priesthood would bring a sacrifice that was pleasing to God, they would lay it on the altar. And if they met all of the, the rules, then God would send fire on the altar himself. And then the priest's job was to keep putting a sacrifice on that altar to make sure it never burned out. Now, I want you to think in terms of you and I being priests. How do we have the fire of God rest upon our lives? sacrifice. We have to make room for him. We have to create space for him. We have to lay our soul on the altar in a pleasing manner to where God brings fire and falls upon us. It's his job to bring the fire, but it's our job to keep the fire burning. And the only way to keep this passion that God has put inside of us burning is to continually bring sacrifices that are pleasing unto him. Amen. Have you ever heard of, I think it was Nadab and Abihu? Anyone ever heard those names? I know some of you, like you've probably heard it talked about. I th I, I, they were in the priesthood and the Bible says that they offered strange fire unto God. Have you ever heard the term strange fire? And the word strange fire means that it came from their source. They brought their own fire. They didn't bring a sacrifice worthy to God. They brought their own fire and God called this strange fire and he judged them for it. You guys okay? So our, our job is to continually bring sacrifices that are pleasing to God. That means we cannot just settle where we are. That, mean, that means that what was sacrificed yesterday may not be sacrificed today. What meant 
death to me yesterday or sacrifice to me yesterday may have become convenient. It may have become a convenient offering to bring God. And God's saying, no, I don't want the convenient offering. Like David said, I will not offer God something that costs me nothing. Like it has to cost us something. And so if we will continually bring our sacrifice, the, if we will continue to lay our lives down on the altar of God, he will keep fire. He will keep the fire there and we'll keep sacrificing and we'll keep this intimate perpetual relationship going where there's always fire, the presence of God upon our lives. We will be marked by the fire of God. You feel that? Like I wanna be marked by the fire of God. So that when I walk around, I look like this picture. People may not know why, they may not understand, but they may sense, they feel that something's different on my life. And it's not because I'm holy. It's not because I'm righteous. It's not because I fulfilled all of these rules. It's simply because I say yes and I yield myself to the Lord. That's all he's looking for from us. People that will say, yes, I'll do whatever you say, God, I'll go. What was it in Isaiah 6? In the, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And what was his response? You're holy God and I'm not. And I live among unclean people and I'm unclean myself. God, what will you do for this? And God says that he sent an angel and he snatched a, a coal from the altar. Come on. He snatched a burning coal that was on fire that God had put there on the altar. He took it with tongs and he touched Isaiah's lips and cleansed him from all of his unrighteousness with the fire of God. And then what was Isaiah's response? God's like, I need someone to go and tell everybody about this. I can hear God just kind of baiting him like out loud. Hmm, who, who would go and share this wonderful Good news message that I have. I wonder, and Isaiah's like, oh, here I am, Lord. Send me. That's all he's looking for, is for someone to say, I don't know anything. I'm unclean, just like the rest of the world. But God, if I can get close to you, you'll purify me, and I'll go, and I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And if we live like that, we'll look like this picture. And everywhere we go, there will be a fire on us. There will be a presence to us. The words that we say will have weight behind them. So as we do these things, as we are priests and ministers unto God and we bring our sacrifices and the fire of God continually falls upon our altar, we have direct access to the mind of God and to the will of God. Amen? That means we can know what God wants us to know. We can think about things the way God thinks about them. How many have had any bad news recently? There's a way for us to tap into the mind of God to where when we receive bad news, it goes through his mind first. <sighs> Ouch. <laughs> because he wants us to come into agreement with him about everything in life, about every situation we face. 
the moment I break agreement with him, I step into worry and I step into fear and I step into manipulation and control and striving and all the, all the things that just makes my life worse. I step into it the moment I stop agreeing with what he has to say. You guys okay? I got a, a really horrible uh, text message this week with bad news in it. Um, there was some context to the, to the text message that actually turned out to be not as, as horrible as I originally thought. But when I first got it, my heart sunk. And I couldn't help it. I began to weep. It was some news about my dad and just some health stuff he's going through, some, some bad stuff that he's having taken care of. And all I could do was had to, the Lord's had to stop me and say, don't freak out, Jared. Don't stop freaking out. It's okay. And, and okay doesn't always mean I get my way. Okay means he's with me. And uh, so, so I, I, I took a second and I was like, okay, Lord, then I'm going to convert my worry into thankfulness. I don't know what else to do right now, but I'm going to tell you that I'm thankful for my dad. And I'm going to call him and I'm going to tell him that. I'm thankful. For, I'm so thankful for you. And I sure love you. Like, this is, I'm just letting you guys in. This is the stuff that we, this is the st- place we live right now. You get, a, you get a, <laughs> you get messages that there's, there's cancer and all these stupid things that pop up in life. There are other people facing, you're facing impossible things right now. I, I could share your example. Like, we could pull you up and say, hey, what news did you get that was terrible news? Or, or did you have a tormenting dream? It sends you into a tailspin. I have, and I don't dream very often. And it's like the Lord's saying, Jared, I'm just trying to get you to stop going down this, uh, this default of, of concern and worry and you're responsible to make it work or fix it or whatever. I want you to process through my mind first. And this is how we do it is we put him at the center of our life. We bring our sacrifice to him. We bring our, our humble sacrifice and we lay it down on the altar and we let him put fire there and then his presence will mark our lives. It will begin to shift how we see things, how we receive news and how we act upon news that we get that's not good news. What's the Bible? The Bible gives us, it gives us a roadmap for everything we face. And You know what the Bible tells us to do in all of these situations? Bring it to the Lord in prayer. In prayer and supplications. Are you worried? Are you concerned? Pray about it. And with thanksgiving, bring your requests unto the Lord. Do you know why it was so important to Jesus when he walked into the temple (laughs) and they were selling and they were doing their business that was not his father's business in the church. And he walked in and how many remember this story? I love this Jesus. I love him. Makes a whip and he drives them out of the church because they made it what it wasn't supposed to be. And the Bible says that it was the zeal for his father's house that had consumed him which was a prophecy that David spoke about in the Psalms, said that the zeal of the house of the Lord will consume him. 
And so he sees it and he says, for my father's house is to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves and robbers. It was the prayer thing that made Jesus act like this. It was the fact that they had replaced the purpose for the church, the purpose of gathering together and bringing our worship to God. They replaced that with all the stuff that that the culture says is worship unto God. And Jesus drove them out, not because he hates money, not because of the things they were doing were illegal, not because of all the stuff that we can say. He did it because it was supposed to be a house of prayer, not all these other things. Y'all still with me? I'm closing, I promise. I said all that other stuff early to get here. So we're gonna finish with this. Prayer is the most important thing that we can do as believers. I'm gonna say it again. Prayer is the most important thing we do as believers, period. If I do not have communion with God, There is no chance I can have faith. There is no chance I can know his purposes. There is no chance that he can guide me in my life. I am on my own without prayer. And if, I'm just gonna go here, all right? If we were on trial today as a church, and we were trying to convince the other side, the enemy, that we are a house of prayer, I feel we would lose our case. Ouch. I'm talking to me, I'm talking to all of us. Because we've lost that fervor for prayer. The zeal for it the zeal for his house being a place of prayer. It's so important because prayer is how I come into agreement with him. How can we be the church? How can we be the manifest presence of God on the earth, right? Because he's in us for us, he's on us. How can we be his expression on the earth if we are not in connected agreement with him? Amen. We are a house of prayer. I am. I am a house of prayer. We're we're called to this. Amen. In James chapter five, I'm going to read this. If you want to open there, I want you to see this with your eyes. James chapter five. I'm going to close with this scripture. I'm going to start with verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let's stop there. Anyone in here suffering today? Let him pray. This is, this is our instruction. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. James 5, 13. Is anyone cheerful? Yeah. Then let him sing psalms. That's why we sing. We're cheerful. I used to sing that old song. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. Come on. Is anyone among you sick? We got any sick sicknesses in the house? 
Well, he's got a cure for that too. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the sick. Oh, how awesome is that? It's, it's in the book. It's, it's legally ours. We have access to it. And then he says this, and the Lord will raise them up. Come on. Oh, I love this next line. And if that person has committed sin, they will be forgiven. What? Me calling the elders and us laying hands and anointing them and praying over them and them being made well will also bring them to a place of forgiveness of their sins? Yes, that's what it says here. It says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. So in service, when we say pray for your neighbor, do it. Pray for your neighbor. I don't know them. You don't have to know them. Your father knows them well. Just feel love for them and you'll know how to pray. Pray for your neighbor that you may be healed. I love this. And the effective fervent prayer of a righteous person has much power. Our prayer has power. Amen. All right. We're going to go back to one, one thing I said earlier. The Lord is looking for one person to come into agreement with what he thinks about something and then call it into reality. Verse 17, Elijah was a man. He had a nature like ours. He was just like us. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Wow. Now, let's paint a picture to, just to drive this home. So let's say Dallas-Fort Worth, all eight million of us, is in a famine because one person prayed for the famine. What if the other eight million of us started praying for the famine to go away and for the rain to come? but it wasn't God's will. Who's God going to listen to? The prophet who prayed the will of God is who's going to be heard. It's not how many people we get praying a thing. It's that I pray the thing God wants me to pray. And if I pray the thing God wants me to pray, (laughs) he prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And it didn't say, and the people cried out to God and finally God relented. It says, and then Elijah prayed again and then the heaven gave its rain and the produce and the fruit came. This is what I'm talking about. Being people of presence, people that are the house of God, where God's presence dwells, where we are in agreement with what he says about things. And when we are in agreement with him, we get what we ask for. So you have people in your life right now that are needing you to be an Elijah. They don't even know what to pray for for their life, but your father in heaven knows what they have need of before they even ask. And he's looking for people to say, I will be a dwelling place for God. I will bring a sacrifice and lay it on the altar. I will not let the fire go out. Are there two or three people that will just say yes to this thing? It will change our whole church. It will change our community. You, one righteous person in a community can change the whole community. 
I love a couple weeks ago, we were at Vomsi and Leanza's new house and we were praying and we were like, let this place be a light in the neighborhood. And it's like their parents were praying like, we just think that's the way it's supposed to be. We're Christians. We're supposed to change the neighborhood. Yes. Amen to that for them. That's it. That's what it is because the presence of God is real. This is not some ghost imagination that we have. He is a living, personal presence. <clears throat> Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's, let's finish. Why don't you stand? The eyes of the Lord are roaming to and fro over the earth, looking for someone whose heart is right towards him, that he may bless him. <laughs> He's looking for one person to stand in the hedge, to make up the gap. One person. Ooh. So here's why we're just going to close today. I'm not going to stand here and lead and pray. We're going to open the altar for everyone who says, you know, I want to be a resting place for his presence. I want to continually put a sacrifice that's pleasing to him, that the fire will be on my altar, that it will never go out, and that my life will be marked by his presence, that miracles, signs, and wonders will follow me as I am in agreement with heaven. That's what we're praying for. If that's you, I'm going to invite you here to the front. We're just going to ask God to pour his presence over us, right? Yep, come on. We're going to ask his presence to overshadow us.